Hi, welcome to Payments and More, the Alize Show. I'm Nico, CEO of Alize. Each week, I will have a chat with successful women and men from the payment industry. We will speak about their business journeys and the lessons they learned. I will ask them to share their views, their opinion about the most relevant topics in payments and more. My aim is to bring you off the beaten track stories, views and perspective from a different angle to shed new light on what's hot in payment space and its future. We will go with the flow. Let's see where our guests take us. This is Payment and More. Enjoy the ride. Today, our guest is Diarmuid Konsidin, aka Konsi, the Konsi, very famous in the payment industry. Konsi worked at Virgin, Skype, Mastercard Gateway. He also won several awards in our industry for his clever approach to payments. Today, we will hear from Konsi on how to position payment and fraud as a profit center in your company. We'll also have his opinion on this busy fraud prevention solution market we have at the moment. And we'll hear also about this call to action to the industry. You know, Konsi is very strong-minded. I can't wait to hear from him. Konsi, welcome to our show today. So, Konsi, what is your real name? My real name is Dermid. Considine, D-I-A-R-M-U-I-D, Considine. My name is Irish, so it causes people some difficulties in pronunciation and in spelling. So I try and make life easier for people and go by Consi. And I've been in the industry for long enough now that I think it's well enough recognized. So Consi is just fine for anyone to call Okay. Me. So we'll spell your name correctly in our webpage so people can find you uh, in LinkedIn. Indeed, 23 years of experience, which is great because, you know, we only interview intelligent people in this show. So welcome to the show. You've been a fraud analyst and manager at O2, then at Virgin in Australia, director of commerce operation at Skype in Estonia. You met Steve Balmer, the CEO of Microsoft in that occasion. We speak about that. Vice president fraud and risk product management at Mastercard Gateway Services. And you're also a strategic advisor at Nuggets. Nugget is a company with a different way of approaching authentication. We recently published on our LinkedIn page an article from Nugget CEO, if the auditors want to check on them. So what happened with Steve Balmer? Tell me that, because it's amazing. Oh, yeah, it was a strange run-in. So I was working with Skype over in Estonia, and Microsoft expressed an interest formally in purchasing Skype. So Steve Balmer and his entourage came over to Estonia and presented to us in our offices all about his plans and a very, very charismatic figure. And just before we were all going to go for some drinks, he saw a pool table and said, hey, I want to play pool. Who's going to play pool against me? And before I knew it, Steve and I were on a team against our CEO and our CTO. And yeah, that was a, a pretty tense few minutes playing pool with Steve because he was incredibly competitive. But yeah, afterwards, he and I had a couple of drinks with the wider crowd and I got a picture of him and I with our winnings from that game. So yeah, a nice memory to have. So you're Steve Balmer compliant. No, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we are giving an award to each of our guests. Today, that's the only moment where you cannot speak in this show. We are going to praise you for a little minute. I know you for over 12 years from the MRC. There is something that follows you since 2012, is that you suddenly became famous because 
you won the MRC award by explaining to the entire industry that fraud prevention should be considered as a profit center rather than a cost center. And you won an award for that, but it's still a live topic. So really, congratulations for that. It's not very common to see somebody changing something the way the industry is changing. So tell me a little bit about that fraud prevention as a profit center, your favorite topic. It really came about from how the fraud team was able to contribute to the overall KPIs that Skype had at the time. And they had a number of objectives. One was to reduce costs, and another one was to maximize revenue and sales. And I think that the fraud team had done a great job in reducing costs, and we had chargebacks and all of that. But the company had missed its target in terms of revenue generation. And I remember feeling quite frustrated that the overall bonuses were going to be affected by this. But my manager put it to me, he goes, well, how much money did you generate for revenue for the company? And I said, well, that wasn't our job. Our job was to limit the costs. And he said, well, wasn't it all of our job to generate revenue? And he was absolutely right. And so he said, what were the things that our fraud team could have done to identify opportunities to generate more revenue for the company? And he incentivized us the following year to come up with ways, use our analysis, use our insights into our customer base to come up with some new profiling, some new analytics, be a little bit more risk-taking, so on and so forth, and generate revenue that otherwise would have been blocked by our fraud controls. And we started to track it and measure it. And after not very long, we realized that we were having a significant impact on the top-line revenue just by virtue of the way that we were applying our fraud controls. So And then when we reviewed this, we could show demonstrably that we were generating revenue for the business. And as a result, our area went from being a cost center to a revenue generator. And that meant that we got additional resources, additional recognition. And in part, that recognition, we came to the MRC. We knew we had done something which maybe some others had done or had attempted or maybe even had achieved. But we felt it was really important for us to share that knowledge and exactly how did we do it. And when so, we explained and expressed that, I think that's the reason why we won the award. So bringing revenue means also being able to ask for more budget, I suspect. No, no but that <laughs> was really important. <laughs> yeah, no, it really was very important because now every single headcount in our team was not just associated to a cost reduction But if we could draw a line from what they were contributing to the overall revenue generation, that was a very powerful statement that, you know what, if you give me two more analysts or if you gave me one more database engineer or if you gave me whatever, if we can convert that into a revenue top line, it made the discussion about additional resources a lot easier to have. How big was your team at the end? Well, when I started, it was 15. And when I finished there, it was 34. 34. I'm still amazed because I'm seeing some companies with 200 million revenues a year and they have nobody accountable for payment or fraud. What should be the minimum, according to you, as from when you should start to worry about that? It's an interesting one. You can outsource as much as you like, but with all due respect to the payments companies and obviously my one as well, there is always a need for somebody 
internal, to have that responsibility, to understand your vertical like nobody else, to understand your campaigns, to understand the right mix of payment types, to understand the risk appetite, because your risk appetite will change as your company grows, as your company matures. So for me, when I got there, there was already 15 people that were looking after screening, analysis, investigations, and the likes. And they were able to justify their existence by the amount of fraud that we were able to stop and we were able to show that. But then we combined fraud and the payments team. And I think that was really that hockey stick moment or that pivot that a lot of people talk about because the fraud teams were incentivized to make sure that we maximized the amount of payments. But the payments teams were heavily incentivized to make sure that we didn't just push payments through, which were going to result in fraud or chargeback. And so with that kind of a natural tension between both groups, we brought them together, combined their KPIs, and that's what led us to grow as much as we did, because now we were this kind of really analytical, data-driven, dynamic team that were changing a lot of things. We were rooting our own transactions. We were analyzing where it is that we could alleviate some of the controls that we had put on our legitimate customers and for that, we needed data. And for that, we needed our own database engineers. And so, yeah, it grew accordingly. And our targets grew and we kept hitting them. So in brief, you always need one. You always, always, always need somebody that understands the payment and fraud. And then I think that there is a line to how much you can get out of your own data and your own transactions in conjunction with your partners, with your acquirer, and then it will scale from there. So let's get into a hot topic here, because, you know, when I joined the payment industry, my mentor said, you know, you have to go into payment because people will always need to pay. Would you say that to anybody joining the industry, they should go into fraud prevention because there will be always fraud? Well, they go hand in hand, right? If somebody once asked me, you know, fraud sounds like it's terribly complicated. And I said, well, the easiest thing in the world is to prevent fraud, but you just have to prevent all the payments. I think that having had experience on both sides, I realize now that they're not necessarily two sides of a coin. They really are something which should be viewed end to end. And look, ultimately, regardless of how it is that you're going to pay, what payment methods, how much data you're going to provide, their products since the dawn of time will always need to be paid for. But since the dawn of time, somebody has been trying to procure those products through illegal means. So I would argue that there's probably, if you were starting out in this industry, there's more scope for being in payments. People and businesses will always emphasize trying to take payments. And then sometimes afterwards, it's a consideration to put in the fraud. But you will never ever have a situation where you will only need to take payments because there will never be a fraud consideration for that payment type. Yeah, but if you look at, let's say, the last five, eight years, you could say that fraud is well-maintained at the same level, roughly, with some peaks, but it's well-maintained. Still, the number of solution providers in the fraud prevention industry has time three or time five. No, even Microsoft is launching fraud prevention tools with the Azure Stream Analytics, the Dynamics 365 fraud prevention. Everybody's getting into those games. How do you explain that? 
I think Amazon are also bringing some kind of new product and tool to the market. Look, I think that there is an element of the rising tide carries all boats and people are moving more and more into e-commerce. COVID-19 has accelerated that, but that was a process which was already well underway over the last couple of years. And the fraudsters are agnostic when it comes to who it is that they're going to tackle. And now there's just more and more targets for them. So I think that fraud solutions are required. Fraud solutions are necessary if it is that you want to preserve your margins. And the fraud companies that are out there have recognized that there's always a niche. There's always a subgroup which is not being potentially well-serviced. There's always an opportunity to use technology to advance the accuracy and the detection in fraud, but without some of the heavy overheads and infrastructure and architecture that some of the the predecessors had to go through. So I think that these fraud companies are attracted to the fact that there's more players in the market and the existing players in the market may struggle to provide that one-to-one attention to as many of the customers that they have on their portfolios. Because at the end of the day, you have SCA coming in Europe. Some players are launching, more and more players are launching a chargeback warranty. There are more and more clever authentication methods. Who do you think will make more money in the solution provider space with the clever one? What type of technology and players are you attracted to or are you following? Well, I will tell you that it has been interesting in terms of the evolution of fraud management over the last 10 years. I think that when you consider the life cycle of a transaction, that there was a time where you really tried to rush to get the customer in and get them onto your site and try and have as little friction as possible and just get them to that basket and get them clicking. And then don't worry about it because we have this technology, this rule engine or this machine learning or this artificial intelligence And we're going to pick it up. We're going to back ourselves that you will have provided us with enough information and that right here at checkout, that's where we're going to identify it. I think what's been interesting over the last couple of years is that the FICE has been brought to the front of the transaction. Hmm. I really feel like that we're moving much closer to authentication, digital identities. Why do we have to let them get inside the store, have a rummage around, potentially get through, as there will always be instances where fraudsters will have utilized somebody else's credentials or will have worked out potentially what they need to put into the application so that they can get a product out. And what we're really trying to do is bring it to the forefront and focus at that forefront and companies like New Data are an example of where that passive biometrics and authentication and device ID are being combined to really kind of say from the outset that breaches and all of the credentials that are out there, you have to start working from the idea that if the credentials are out there, could I use all of your credentials or could you use all of mine? And in the past, there was that possibility. There absolutely was that possibility you would have put in everything that you knew about me and it would have gone in and the system would have said, well, that really is that guy. And now we're trying to bring it to the forefront and we're trying to put more emphasis on that. And may I say just, sorry, I was just going to add that I feel that the movement towards the forefront 
and where fraud is being taken is we're kind of surfing on societal changes. I've rarely seen fraud mitigations be universally accepted and welcomed because they always seem to be a friction. But I'll tell you, if you look at an iPhone, and just a few short years ago, if somebody had said that your fingerprints are going to be kept on file, there would have been uproar. There would have been absolute uproar. And now the idea of being able to get into your phone, this sacred device that has your entire life on it, with your fingerprint is now so universally accepted that the idea that your passive biometrics and that your digital identity needs to be stored to give you ease of movement into your phone, that is what we're surfing to say, okay, then, well, look, if you've got comfortable with that, let's put that into our fraud solutions and then make sure it's you that's coming onto our site and getting to the checkout. So that's where I think we're moving. I think that we're moving to a more universal acceptance that some of our details need to be stored. And in some respects, that's what Nuggets and the blockchain may be another evolution going forward where it's actually not being stored, the data, as much as it's being replicated in a recognizable blockchain entry into a ledger. But what you're saying is that with the correct authentication, there will not need of any fraud prevention. Is that, no, is it, I, are you going that far? No, I'm not going that far. I don't think I'll ever go that far. I think the danger that you have, there's no question that the fraud industry has spent a long time. We are that insurance salesman. We do have to convince you that there is a time when your house may need insurance, you know, that you may be robbed. It's not fear-mongering. It is just talking about the unpleasantness of what can happen if it is that you haven't taken the appropriate protection. But what we also don't want to do is tell people, here is the panacea, here is the silver bullet. Just put all of your controls at the front end because we can't foresee how it is that they can get past this. But the idea that has always been the case and has been universally accepted is that you need a layered approach. And I've been around fraud companies for many, many years, and I've never heard one of them say that we are all you'll need and that we will completely stop your fraud. There are plenty of companies that say, We partner with the best in the business. There are other companies that will say, we will underwrite your fraud losses to make sure that you can manage how much you will lose. But nobody has been brave slash foolish enough to say, you won't have fraud and we will manage for you with this one-stop technology. So I won't go so far as to say we won't need any fraud solutions if it is that we just go on authentication. But I think that there is a marriage there going forwards, complementary to each other, that will be the smarter way to go forward. So many fraud solutions, many authentication solutions. Here we go. Gardner uh, was releasing last week a review on that. They invented the term ID proofing and affirmation. And one of the main conclusions is to say that by 2023, 75% of organizations will have to use an orchestration platform. So here... Indeed, there is something new, something, let's say, a room for new provider when it comes to fraud prevention or authentication with orchestration. Now, on the same study, they are saying that by 2023, 80% 
of the merchant will still use a document-centric ID proofing. When will be the end of that? Are we in the Middle Ages still, or do, do you I, see I found- Apple asking for a document before identifying you? Because right now it's quite easy to have an Apple ID at the end of the day. No, exactly right. I struggle. I would struggle with that eighty percent figure. You know, when I worked in the telcos back in Australia, and the idea of people bringing in their ID or bringing in their passport and having it photocopied and then faxed to a central office to have it stored. like That's how antiquated that seems to me. And I think that we have enough that we should never undermine that if it is that we're all walking around with these phones, that there is so much information and data inside there that can be corroborated, the device, the various different elements within this, the various different sites that you've connected to. I know that there is quite a lot of work going into using banks and government and trying to link these identities to really make a robust and very clear identity for a customer, which will make it more and more difficult for people to compromise them. So this idea that we're going to still require some physical signature on a contract or copy of ID, I don't see it. I really don't. So you're giving me the opportunity to say that we have another episode of the show with Mark Wallick from Google Pay, who is going to give us some insider information a little bit about this authentication through phones. The last polemic question. At the end of the day, this is a game where you have the consumers You have the card schemes, for example, for payment. You have the merchant and you have the banks. Who would you say should take the responsibility on that? Because you were mentioning Nuggets. Nuggets is more consumer-oriented. The card schemes keep on buying some solution. I'm not sure what they are going to do with it. So what's the right balance here? I think that the card schemes have recognized their position in the payment ecosystem. I think that... There has been a rise in alternative payment methods. There are new regulations. There are going to be new competitors in the industry. Obviously, these massive, the MAGA or the Facebooks of this world, all of these companies and the challenger banks. So it really kind of shows that the schemes, in my opinion, I think have recognized that they've got this, frankly, privileged position and they should be leveraging it in terms of trying to bring harmony and trying to pass this information and trying to utilize the connection that they have to the issuers and to major big merchants and to the acquirers and to processors and the likes. And I think that there's always been complaints about mandates and regulation. And I think that there's really an opportunity to take that in, take the responsibility in and to start connecting the dots and bringing some technology in there. And you've seen it with MasterCard and you've seen it with Visa and a few others in terms of their recent acquisitions. And you know that they are utilizing those solutions to bring them together, to make the data start connecting. And so this existing rail that has been around for so long, but which is now being challenged, and that's a good thing. But the opportunity here is that there was a rail and an kind of an existing rail But now with this new technology being brought in, that transaction, which is going from a merchant up into an acquirer, potentially via a gateway into the schemes and over to the issuers, there's an opportunity here for us to really try and connect the two points, which is the merchants and the issuers, because they're the only two parts of the ecosystem that have the engagement with the customer. 
So the customer we, has gone into a store. Yep. We are reaching the last five minutes of the show. We have two Certainly. very famous sections now. First is your golden minute. So let's say you're the president of the world of fraud prevention, and you have to make an address to the entire industry and a call to action. What will be this call to action? Wow. Well, this would be an opportunity, I believe, for collaboration. I think that there have been instances in the past where merchants in particular, banks and even vendors, that there is an opportunity here for collaboration. I think with regard to the fraud industry, there really isn't any comfort in us all failing. If it is that fraud was to take off, yes, of course, that means more money is going to have to be put into fraud prevention. But I feel like there's an opportunity here when we realize the privileged position we are in business, that we should always remember and never lose sight of what happens to profits that get taken out of all of these companies and what happens with the profits of these frauds and how this money is being used for nefarious activities, for crime, for terrorism and the like. So I think if I had a singular call, it is that any environment or any organization which allows you to exchange best practice, which allows you to bring together ideas and potentially even data one day where we can all advance ourselves, we can compete against each other on a whole bunch of different things, pricing, technology, marketing, sales. But on one aspect, I think that collaboration between vendors, between customers, between the cardholders, between the consumer, That is something that we need to do going forward because there's only going to be one net loser, which is all of us. And the net winner are those that don't have to play by the rules and also who are already collaborating with other fraudsters far more successfully than we have. So thank you, Duconci, for this call to action. No, it's much awaited section of our show. As you know, we have a game at every episode of this show, which is the game of the box. So Conci, you're going to be able to participate. I have a box on my desk. Inside this box, there is something to do with the payment sector. The listeners can guess what is in the box. If they guess what is in the box, they win a week holiday to Ibiza for two. From anywhere in the world, we send them to Ibiza to spend a fantastic week there. You have the opportunity to help the auditors by asking me a question about what's in the box. What is your question? Can you wear it? Aha, uh -huh, that's a tricky question. You could say you can have it on you. That was okay. your question. You have an opportunity to guess as well as the auditor by posting in our LinkedIn the answer. The first one with the correct answer will win this fantastic holiday. Now, I'm going to get a little bit more personal with you as a conclusion. First, I want to clear something with you. What's this story about running a bar in Bolivia, an Irish pub in the middle of your career? Am I right? Or is it just a gossip? No, it's actually true. I'd been in Australia for six years and I finished up that job. I was about 30 years of age and I felt like if I didn't do some traveling at that point, then I was just going to stay in the professional career all my life. So I set off and I found myself in South America for a number of months and I was chatting to a guy one night and he asked me what I did for a living and I said, well, you know, I used to work in fraud but now I'm traveling the world. 
And he said, have you any experience of bar management? And I said, no, I've got plenty of experience of being in bars. And he said, well, would you like some? And then literally next day, I checked with him and said, I think you might have been joking last night. And he goes, no, you're my new bar manager. And literally overnight, I had a change of profession. I was in La Paz in Bolivia in a bar there called Oliver's Travels. And yeah, I ended up staying there for about five or six months and with many, many stories, many experiences and a really amazing time in my life before it was time to move on and do some more traveling. From bar manager to MasterCard, thank you for being with us today, Conci. You will be able to find Conci on LinkedIn. Dare with Concedin. I cannot pronounce it myself. I will post it on our LinkedIn. You can get in touch with Conci. He's always uh, happy to share. Last word of recommendation to the stakeholders listening to us, Conci. Just reach out, collaborate, engage with me, engage with others, engage with the likes of the MRC. And I'm sure that we will make 2020 and beyond a much more profitable time for us all. Thank you very much, Conci. Catch you up with you very soon. Thank you. Thanks for joining Payments and More, the Alive Show. If you enjoyed the interview as much as we did, please share this podcast with your network. Leave us a five-star review, of course, and subscribe now to Payments and More in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is the best way not to miss any episode with great guests. You can find more information about our guests today and how to connect in the show notes or on Ally's website. Last, I love to hear from you. Please let me know your suggestion for the next episodes, guests to interview, topics to address, or questions you'd like me to ask to our guests in our Allies LinkedIn page or in the comment section of this podcast. See you in the next episode of Payments and More. I'm Nico. We are Allies.